Vamos a terminar hoy con los Chapter First uh, John, chapter five, verse one to twenty-one. Okay, we'll read all together. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God, and we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. But if we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that He has borne concerning His Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has testimony, has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe has made him a liar, because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning His Son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of Him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death, there is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who is born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true, in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Sabemos que somos de Dios y el mundo entero está bajo el maligno.
Okay, so when you go home, I bless you that, that you would be able to embody perfectly the, uh, the book of chapter 5 uh, when you go home. Uh, and so if you need this uh, web page for our site, uh, ask Pastor Francisco and he'll provide it for you. And also, though we do not have very many, we do have about six books that have been translated into Spanish. And so please ask them if you need it. I will send them to Pastor Francisco. So if you need, please go ahead and ask Pastor Francisco. And also, when it comes to coming to Korea, also uh, please deal through Pastor Francisco. How long you're going to stay and how you're going to come. Uh, I think at most you can stay for about a month. And at the very least, uh, uh, I think you gotta let us know by the time, by at least the first or second week of, of September. Uh, on Monday we'll be going to Honduras, so please pray for that. And remember that when we have a conference anywhere in South America, they are all connected together. And so, whether it's South America or North America or, or, or Central America, it's all connected together. And this is the prophecy of Joel in the end times that the remnant will come, will be united. And so, in your regions, you need to also start to establish 24-hour prayer teams for intercession. Uh, Africa is currently participating, and Southeast Asia is also participating. In Korea, of course. And so, um, if you have this pray uh, intercession prayer, uh, you will, verse 4, and the church will be uh, revealed, will be made. And please engage in spiritual warfare. Your prayer must become powerful. Amen. Okay, and so let's finish chapter five. Okay, let's uh, get, get with, through with it quickly, hopefully. And enjoy the pizza today. Okay, chapter 5, verse 1 to 5 is once again talking about the conditions, the requirements for, for, for fellowship. Let's look at verse 1. Okay, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And so chapter 5 is starting to speak of faith. And as you have this fellowship, in order to have this dynamic fellowship with the Trinity of God, you need faith. Faith, believing in itself, means you have fellowship. 
And so faith is really important, amen? And so let's talk about faith as it comes out today. So what do we believe in? That we believe that Jesus is the Christ. And so if we are accurately speaking, we believe that Jesus became the Christ. And I cannot explain the doctrine of Christ to you today, but Jesus Christ and Christ Jesus. Jesus and also separately Christ. When Paul uses these words, he's, he has purpose when he specifically says these words. And here it says we believe that Jesus is the Christ. That Jesus is the Christ who came to save his people. And so this name Jesus in itself he put on the body and in the, his name it has the identity of everything that he had done. And so he came as man and died on the cross and that in itself was made him be proclaimed as king. That's the faith, that's what you need to believe in. That Jesus, what, Jesus becoming the king. And for this reason, when we believe in that, we also have the authority of the king. And this is what the new self can do. And so they say that this person is born of God. And so in your faith life, you need to have this clear distinction between old self and new self. 32 years ago when I met with God, and as God was explaining the Bible, He helped me to go dive deep into the Bible. But without this concept of new self, old self, it's impossible actually to understand the New Testament. Without the new self, old self, it's impossible to embody the word of God. And so all of this old self, new self, this is reality, it's literal. It's not out of our efforts, not of our actions that we live our lives. But through everything that Jesus has done, the new self that has been given to us, when I live by that new self, that's when I can put to death the old self. So if you look at verse 4, it says something very similar. Oh, verse 5, not 4, verse 5. The one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Verse 1, it says the one who believes that Jesus is the Christ. So believing that Jesus is Christ and believing Jesus is the Son of God, what might be the difference? You never thought about this, have you? There's very there's a big difference. Before Jesus came to this earth, he was already the Son of God. But like it says in Isaiah 42, 2, that it's when he put chose to put on the flesh that he 
that he put off, he postponed uh, his identity as son of God. We also see this in Philippians 2. And so for this reason, because he postponed it, the, this identity of son of God, the power that comes with it, the majesty that comes with it, it's all been postponed, it's all been pushed back. And so that means that while he was on this earth, he lived fully as man. And so this is the reason why when he was on the cross, and when he died on the cross, he once again was acknowledged as Son of God. He received acknowledgement as Son of God. And so what is the plan of the devil? to keep him from dying on the cross. The devil kept trying to reveal his identity as a son of God, keep trying to, to, to make him use his power. Why? Because the devil knew, knows that when Jesus dies on the cross, that is judgment for him. And yet the Lord uh, uh, overcame all of his human weaknesses and died on the cross. And Romans 1.4 says this, that the, sanctif that the sanctifying uh, spirit, that the spirit of sanctification uh, brought him back from the dead to life and he was acknowledged as son of God. And so through his victory on the cross, he was acknowledged as son of God. And so when you believe that he is the son of God, it's in this perspective, it's with this in mind. That the fact that he has revealed as the Son of God means that he is revealing, the, he is manifesting his identity as the ruler over the entire universe. And of course, Christ also means king, but Son of God has the perspective of dominion. And the apostles are using the prophecies of Psalms 2. In Psalms 2, we see Son of God, but we also see the Anointed One, the Messiah. So what does it, what's the difference then, believing that Jesus is the Christ? Okay, the anointing is poured out to three different types of people in the Old Testament. The prophets, the priests, and the kings. And so Samuel anointed David with oil. But ever since that moment, he was officially king. And so he was a Christ, right? A type of Christ. And yet it took another eight years for him to be confirmed as king. It's the same thing with Jesus Christ. Okay. He put on the on the flesh and came as man, and so he so he could not use his authority, his identity as the Son of God. But he was still the Christ. Just as David was acknowledged as king the moment Samuel anointed him. Right? In the same way, David is king. But it took him another eight years before he actually became king. But his authority as king was already manifested at that time. Right? He killed Goliath. 
And so when it says the word Christ, it's talking about his authority of a king that he has in his identity. But it isn't his own strength, it's not his own authority, but the authority uh, of the Holy Spirit, relying upon the Holy Spirit. And so what is Christ? Christ is this being that is goes hand in hand with the Holy Spirit, that is close to the Holy Spirit. And so even now, are you receiving the anointing in your being, in your identity? That is authority of the King being poured out upon you. And because we have been acknowledged with Him as sons of God, now we have the authority and the and the reign, the dominion of as sons of God. And so this is a little bit different than what we what we're used to, right? We um, as anointed ones of God, we can avail that anointing, we can use that anointing. Of course, we are not Christ, but 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 still, God anoints us. Yes. And so we're able to minister out of that anointing. And so we receive uh, that we are sons of God in faith. And that means that the church also has the authority to for dominion. And so, and so you need to understand who you are before the church and before God. And so to the world, we have this authority to control them. And so please do not be caught unaware. Even now, that authority is continually being made manifest. It's being made manifest in amazing ways. And so, and, and this authority has been imparted to you through this anointing, through this conference. You need to be able to avail it now. Amen? And so, you need to believe that He is Christ. And you need to believe that Him coming to this earth is the Christ. He is the Messiah. And He, at the same time, on the cross, was acknowledged as the Son of God. And so we need to have both identities of Jesus in our hands. And so one is the anointing. The anointing of the King is being poured out. And, and, and as representatives of him, we have the uh, dominion over this country, over, this, over the nations. So you need to have faith in this. You need to have faith in this amazing authority that you have. Just having him as Christ would be more than enough. But you are not just simply having him as Christ, because Christ is just a name of his, of his identity. But Son of God is the name that represents his authority of dominion. You need to believe in the authority that you have. And so, in other words, you have the power and authority to have dominion over the universe, over the world. The church does not get influenced by the world. And going beyond that, uh, we are not under the dominion of the world. We reign over the world. And so we command the world. And so really, I emphasize again that the world is nothing. How can the church of God be influenced by the world? How, why would the church ever receive commands from the world? It's impossible. It should never be. So we need to believe that Jesus is the Christ, and we need to believe that He is the Son of God. And when we believe these things, then, then we can avail the same authority that He has 
And so the ones who believe this will rise up as kings tonight. And so above your head is this crown. And, and going beyond that, this is the fulfillment of Zechariah 3. If you look at Zechariah 3, there's the priest, the priest. And this priest, for some strange reason, is wearing a crown. Why? Because Jesus is a priestly king. He has the clothes of a priest, and yet he's wearing the crown of a king. So this is what it means to be priestly king. And so this prophecy of Zechariah has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And so as I said this morning, we, he is priestly king. And so, whoever you may be, as long as you have these two witnesses, two testimonies, you are priestly kings. And if you believe in this truth, then we will give our lives to the Lord. He is our everything. Hallelujah. And so then we also are priestly kings. And priestly kings will continually maintain that until Jesus' return. And wherever he is, you will be the holy bride of Jesus Christ. And this is the faith that we need to have. Amen. What else does it say? That, uh, that you have been chosen and called. You have been called and elected. And so, and so that you will follow after him wherever he leads you. And so, in the Bible, there's nowhere where you see that the children of God is influenced by the world. Nowhere in the Bible do you see the children of God being commanded by the world. We reign over the world, and we command the world. We are not to be influenced by the world, and we are not to be under the dominion of the world. And so for this reason, in our church, we have never uh, run our church according to the standards of the world. For example, uh, there was a time where the IMF uh, put a limitation in our, in our country, and that's actually when our church was established. So how difficult would it be? And really, that winter, it was so cold in Korea. And gas prices were so expensive. But in that year, God uh, gave me freedom of, of finances. And the very next month, we started sending at least $60,000 for missions. And then, how about the coronavirus? Every church, almost every church in Korea closed their doors. We weren't allowed to gather. And about half the church left in, in other churches. And so, so churches were having a hard time making ends meet. And yet our church, uh, our offerings doubled in that time. And we never uh, stopped the worship. 
I'm not boasting of one church, but I'm telling you the essence of the church. The church is not influenced by the world. And the church is not commanded by the world. Rather, the church commands the world and reigns over the world. So do not lose this dignified identity you have. Look at Jacob. Jacob is such a cheater. He's, he, he's a sly dog. Right? His character is so, is so bad. It's so dirty. And yet, why does God love Jacob? And why did God hate Esau? Because Jacob, because Esau did not know who he was. Jacob had this faith in who he was as a child of God. Esau sold that precious birthright for bowl of soup. And so look, our victory is determined by when we know who we are, knowing who God is and knowing who I am. Then I will never be influenced by the world. I will not be controlled by the world. And this is what it means to be the church of God. Amen? Amen? Then verses 1 through 5 is really important. So going back to verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus Christ has been born of God. So again, we're seeing this dynamic of the Trinity. So who is the one who has been born of God? It's those who believe in Jesus Christ. And those who are in Jesus Christ are those who believe in the love of God. And if the love of God is inside of me, then, then, then that love is manifesting. As that love manifests, uh, it grows and, and it and influences to to, to, to uh, love my brothers. Amen? And so, so this is why it's obvious. And so let's move on to verse 2 and 3. So again, it's talking about love. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. And so remember, uh, His love and His commandments have the same root. Uh, God's love is inside of me, and that love allows me to love God. And so I will keep His commandments. I will be obedient to His words. This happens automatically. This moves automatically. And, and then uh, and he will love the children of God, which means because we receive this love, we're able to love the members of the body. And so there's nowhere in this verse that says it's out of our effort or out of my works. Just simply, if God's love enters into me, this happens automatically. And so what is, what does it mean to enter into the Sabbath rest of faith? It means that it no longer requires strength that you just automatically repent and you automatically deny the world and you don't need to spend energy to pray this is Sabbath rest Sabbath rest and so if you look at Hebrews 4.12 it says make every effort therefore to enter into the Sabbath rest this seems awkward at first right 
Sabbath is rest. And for rest to make every effort, does that make sense? It says to make every effort. To make every effort to enter that rest. What does that mean? That until you get to that point where it takes no effort, you need to make every effort. I said on the first day, right? That a rocket, in order to get into orbit, needs to use a lot of fuel, a lot of energy. But once it gets out of the atmosphere, it can just float. And so for a time, you need to make every effort to, to loosen the fleshly things. You need to make every effort to pray. You need to make every effort to deal with your spiritual bindings. You need to make every effort to empty yourself. Because you have lived in the flesh for so long. And so you need time to, to suffer through this, to wrestle against this. And eventually you'll get to the point where it takes no effort for you to flow. Especially when it comes to the Sabbath rest of faith. And so no matter the circumstances, no matter what situation you are, you can see in faith. That whoever you meet, you can apply faith. Romans 4 describes the Sabbath rest like this. That uh, it describes Abraham that in faith, in fa that he has the faith that God created, and he has the faith that if God takes away, that God can give back. And where does this come from? This comes from Genesis 2. And so, um, that he could offer Isaac up to God without doubt. And so when in Genesis, when we see Abraham offering up Isaac, there was no conflict with him at all. He went up to Mount Moriah. And when Abraham took the took the took the sword, who was the one who stopped Abraham? The angel. Why? Why did the angel stop him? Because he had no reserves that God didn't have the time to just say to him, stop. So that's why the angel held his hand. <laughs> that's how much faith Abraham had. This is the glory of Mount Moriah. It's, this is the faith that Abraham had, and this is the faith we want. Uh, the faith that he can bring the dead to life, and the faith that he can create out of nothing. And so he makes things that are not there appear, he makes things that are there appear. He, that is what he is, he is the creator God. And that's the faith we need to have. Amen. And so I bless you that you will yearn to enter into the Sabbath rest of faith. Amen. Hallelujah.
And so living with God in itself is not difficult, actually. But because we've lived in the flesh, because we live close to the world, and so it's difficult because you need to loosen these things, you need to unbind these things. As if you don't have time to live in that flesh, then immediately you would have entered into the Sabbath rest. You would have entered into the Sabbath rest. But the reality is, is that that's not the case. We've lived by the flesh, haven't we? And because I've lived by the flesh, it took me 13 years. I had to, for 13 years, um, humble myself before God. And God's power was made manifest. And yet God did not let me do anything. To the point where even Paul, look, Paul for 17 years he spent time in the deserts of Arabia. And Peter took three years. It's because Peter was dumb. And because he was dumb, he only had to stop for three years. Moses. Moses was so smart that he had the education of a prince of Egypt, right? So how long did it take him? It took him 40 years. And so, depending on how deep the world has entered into you will determine how long it takes to de-cleanse all of those things. Because I lived fully in the world for so long, it took me 13 years. And if I didn't have that time, then I probably wouldn't be able to do what I'm doing right now. But the important thing is that you need to keep loosening the fleshly things that are binding you. And so make every effort for this. Uh, 13 years, during the 13 years, there were more days that I did not eat than when I did eat. And at that time, I would pray 10 hours a day. It's not out of my effort, but that's how the Holy Spirit led me. And for some time, he would not even let me speak to limit my words. Because I lived so close to the world for so long, the Holy Spirit spent this first critical time of my life together. And then after 13 years, as I went deep into repentance, for the most part, I entered into Sabbath rest. So brothers, do not live with the world. The world is um, critical danger. It's better to not know the world. Amen? It's better to not live by the flesh. Amen? And so if this starts to get ingrained into your brain, onto your body, it gets harder and harder to, to loosen this. It gets harder and harder to live with God, even though living with God is the easiest thing because ultimately what is he doing? He's giving you gifts. And so if we have the faith that can enjoy that gifts, then, you know, we're almost at the Sabbath first. So let's continue. And so love and commandments is the same. And because of that love, we can love the brothers. 
Now move on to verse 3. For this is the love of God. And so whenever he's talking about love, he keeps saying this, or such, or how, what kind. But clearly this love is obedience to the commandments. So what is the state again? It's the state that's receiving the love of God. And that means that the word is inside of me and I'm obeying the word. And that means that that is the new self and it is the dynamic of the Trinity. This is all natural, it's all automatic. And so from this perspective, the commandment is not a burden. It becomes easy to be obedient to the word of God. It's not difficult. And you're able to have perfect obedience. As you have this intimate fellowship with God, uh, your fleshly um, matters, your fleshly tendencies fade away. And in your spirit, the intellect, emotion, and will, especially this will, no longer has the will to resist God. That my free will is always being faced towards God. And I said this this morning that if you continually go against the Holy Spirit and are disobedient, then your intellect, emotion, and will is getting bound. And so, amongst you, some of your emotions are so bound that you don't know how happy you are. You don't know how sad you are. Your emotions need to be unbound. And so if you call this spiritual uh, healing, then it's spiritual healing. One moment, please. Señor, uh, té negro, té negro, por favor. Té negro, así. Coffee. No, té, té, té. No azúcar, no leche. Gracias. And so, uh, you get to this point where you only, what God has used to create you is what's being used. And so you find yourself, you find the original self. Okay, some people may think that, oh, I've originally... Oh, so don't treat uh, these things as yours. For example, rage, anger. God never used that to create you. God never created you with despair. God never created you with depression. Don't think that you've always been depressed. Don't think that you've always been easy to get angry. And so God has never used that kind of material. And, and God has only used the good things. We've got to cast all of those things out. It's the issue with the intellect, emotion, and will. And so all you have to do is cleanse those things by living with the Holy Spirit. And, and, 
And when you are loosened as you live with the Holy Spirit, uh, you get to the point where, where you only use the things that God uses. For example, you rejoice and you're filled with courage. And that is, that is how you come alive and are revived. And people will start to be amazed at, oh wow, I was made up of this, but this is what you were originally made up with. And so uh, when you live with God, you are able to reclaim these things through God. Remember, as I said earlier, you know, before I met with God, I didn't like to speak. But when, when I met with God, now my words started to get uh, 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 loosen. And there was a lot of things that I, I never would have dreamed of saying before that is being said. And really, my IQ was 89, and yet now I have been made intelligent to a very great, I have a great intelligence now. And this doesn't just apply to me. God wants to do this to all of you. And that's what you need to receive now. Amen? Amen? So let's continue. And so his commandments is not burdensome. And so when God speaks, it becomes easy to be obedient. The reason is because your spiritual bindings have been loosened. Amen? So let's continue. And so now verse 4 and 5 speaks of faith. Verse 4. Are you tired? Okay. Receive grace until the very end. And this is the conclusion, and, be, and because the conclusion is very important. Verse 4. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. Amen. And who is those who have been born of God? It's the new self. And this new self overcomes the world. And the new self here is written, uh, this is written in the perfect tense. And so we are not confirming this when it comes in that future. No, already the, we, he has overcome the world. And so all we have to do is confirm that victory. And so fundamentally, you become a being that can't help but be victorious. And, the, and also, the old self can never be victorious over the new self. And so the reason why we're unable to proclaim victory over the world is because we're living with the old self. If you're filled with the new self, then really the world will seem insignificant to you. I like, like Habakkuk prophesied, that you will see that the world is simply inheritance that will be gone tomorrow. That it is so uh, such a waste to invest in that in that. And remember, as I said earlier, uh, the new self has no system to sin. And in the same way, the new self has no system to live in the world. 
And so it, it doesn't enjoy anything of the world. And uh, that's, what it, that's what the new self does. He, he enjoys to pray. He enjoys worship. And this is all part of the new self. So remember, victory is all about are you the new self or the old self? No, it's not about what you do. Amen. And so the new self has the power and authority that God has to have dominion over, over creation. And so this is what, what overcome, this is the victory we have over the world. And so what is this victory? It's believing that he has the complete victory. It's not that you have to fight and win, but that, the, that you believe in his victory that he already has. That's how easy it is. Isn't it easy? It's easy. It's really easy. Once again, you believe that he has victory. You believe that he paid the price and, and believing that he saved us, that is righteousness. And just believing and receiving what he has done is faith. That you just, all you have to do is recognize who you are. Amen? So as I said earlier, his, you're believing his victory. You're believing and receiving that, ah, that's how he has victory. So when you believe, just uh, following in itself is great faith. Faith has the power to do so. And so the righteous shall live by faith. If not, then it would have said that the righteous will live by their works. That the righteous have to work very hard. But the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says the righteous shall live by faith. Amen? And so the focus is to live in faith. Believing in his promise. And so look at verse 5. Uh, who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? And so who is the one who believes that he is the Son of God? It is the new self. And so the new self overcomes the world. Okay? Why? Because God is the king who reigns over this universe. And so through the cross, Jesus was acknowledged as Son of God. And so, and so this creation is in his hands. And so the new self cannot be uh, controlled by the world. Amen? And so the ch church of God cannot be controlled. Amen? And so do not allow yourself to be impotent, impotent towards the world. So I proclaim it once again. That we are beings to proclaim and command the world. We are not beings to be influenced by the world. The reason is because we are the king, the sons of the king. You are the sons of the king, amen? So you live by the authority of your lips. Amen. Do not doubt this even for a minute. Hallelujah. And so now verse 6 to 11, what does it say? 
It's talking about the fellowship with Jesus Christ. And we're seeing the things that prove, that show evidence of this. The evidence of the Holy Spirit, the evidence of the testimony, the evidence of God, the evidence of eternal life. This is all evidence that we are having fellowship with Jesus Christ. And so having fellowship with all the Trinity is important. But fundamentally, who gave us life? And so it's, and it is the Son, God the Son, who allows us to meet with that dignity and gives us that dignity. And so, and that's why Apostle John is explaining this more in detail regarding the Son. Verse 6 to 8 is talking about the testimony of the Holy Spirit. Verse 6. This is. And who is this? This is Jesus Christ. This is He who came by water and blood. And when it says He came by water and blood, what does that mean? It means that He came as man. He came as a human being. And again, this also represents baptism. In John 4, He comes to receive baptism to, by John the Baptist, and the heavens open up. And the Holy Spirit comes in the shape of a of a of a dove, a somatico, and somatico it, it, what it means is embodied. And so the Holy Spirit isn't some imagination. No, but he came like a dove. And so the spiritual realm might be invisible, but that doesn't mean it's imagination. It is reality. And so when Jesus was baptized, according to the prophecy, the heavens tore up the wind. Just, it uses the same word when, when Jesus died on the cross and the veil of the temple split open. In the same way, the heavens split open and the Holy Spirit came down like a dove. And when you pray, this is happening over you all the time. When you pray, the heavens open up and the Holy Spirit comes embodied over you. Amen. And so from this perspective, we can also interpret water and blood. Another way is to interpret water is as it says in Ezekiel that those who, through the water, which is the word, the water, those who wash themselves with the water every day will be clean and will receive the inheritance of God. So what is water here? Water is speaking of blood, or not blood, sorry, of, of the word of God. Now what about the power of the blood? What is the blood? It's the blood that has cleansed the heavenly tabernacles, that has purified the heavenly tabernacles. And so when it says that he came in the water and blood, it's testifying that he came as a human being. But it also talks about the reality of the Holy Spirit. And that he is the word itself. Like it says in John 1-2, that, that the word was God. And all of these things are being 
uh, included when he says he came in the water and the blood. And then so, this is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. Again, what is he emphasizing here? He's, this emphasis is to attack Gnostics, that, that he was clearly man, that when he died on the cross, he spilled blood and water, right? This is clear, he spilled water and blood. And the one who testifies to this is who? It's the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit is the Spirit of Truth. And so, uh, it describes Jesus as the Word, right? The Logos. And the Holy Spirit follows the Logos. And what else can be confirmed here? That the Word and the Holy Spirit cannot be separated. This is really important. That this simple uh, proposition of faith has great influence in our life. And so once again, I say, the fullness of the Holy Spirit is the fullness of the water, fullness of Jesus. You need to receive all of this. And so you cannot say just the word alone is good, that the sermons is good, or that we only like we only have uh, the power of the Holy Spirit. Oh, that we live holy lives only. No, that's not possible. You need to be filled with the Word, filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with Jesus Christ, and become more and more like Jesus. And that means you can live a holy life. And all of these things is you receive in, in the patience and the faith and have confidence of salvation. It's all embodied, embodied. And so what's important here? The important is faith. It's, it's not an ideology. It's faith. It's faith. It's life. And the Holy Spirit enters into you and His Word lets you live this out. Are you sleepy? Why are you not saying Amen? And so let's continue. The Lord, the Word, the Blood, and the Spirit cannot be separate. And so the Trinity God comes to me in a dynamic, and the Holy Spirit dwells within me and considers me as his temple, then the Word and the Blood and the Spirit dwells within me. So when I have this dynamic fellowship with the Trinity, the Word, the Blood, and the Spirit move together in me. This is the order of life. Even while you're sleeping, uh, your heart continually pumps your blood. In the same way, the spiritual fellowship is always circulating within you 24 hours a day. Even when you sleep, the Holy Spirit is working within you. When you sleep, what happens if your heart were to stop? Then you would die in your sleep. It's the same thing, same principle. Your spiritual functions will not stop. And so what's important is to acknowledge it and receive it. 
And so what's important is to live in the spirit. And so let's continue. And then, so verse 7 actually should begin is the spirit is the truth for there are three these three that testify right the Greek text starts there and so it says that there are three who testify and so as I said earlier there are three that testify to Jesus it is the water the blood and the spirit and so the word testifies to the Lord the blood testifies to the Lord and even the Holy Spirit testifies to the Lord and so what does this mean witness testify testify it means that they are with Jesus Christ. Just as Jesus is with God, this, this, this uh, interchange of life is continually moving. And so if you have experienced this, you would know that what does it mean that these three things are moving inside of me? It means that the kingdom of heaven is moving within me. And so when God says that I'm going to make you like me, that's impossible if you look just at myself. But if you believe in what He's doing in me, then you believe that this is possible. And so 32 years ago, if you met with me, you would never have imagined that I would have become like this. My wife in the back over there, the reason why she received so much grace is because she saw who I was 32 years ago. She, and so when she sees me, she sees that God is alive. Why? Because my wife knew me when I was an unbeliever. And so look, the Holy Spirit continually moves according to the principle of life, the order of life, and is making you be restored perfectly. And so I use this word very often, a revolution of your being. And because I believe in what happened to me, and so I believe that anyone can be changed because I saw what happened to me. Because someone like me was transformed, then anyone can be transformed. Who would not be transformed? Amen? So what should you say? That because I transformed, of course anyone can be transformed. Amen? So let's continue. Verse 8. The spirit and the water and the blood and these three agree. And so if you read this according to the Greek, it says that the three agree that they, that they are agree. And so this is similar to the word Trinity actually. And so the word, the blood, and the spirit. And 
uh, witness with each other of Jesus Christ. The word testifies to Jesus, the blood testifies to Jesus, and the spirit, of course, also testifies to Jesus. And Jesus himself testifies to the word, and he spilled his blood. And through the Holy Spirit, he lived a, a blameless life. And so all of these elements of life that is inside of me, they work together in a dynamic to build a whole within me. And in Jeremiah it says, when three cords come together, that they will not be torn apart. Right? When you make a rope, you, you bring three strings together to make it strong. So if you only were to have one of these things, you would be a great being. But all three are within you, and so there's nothing in this world can dare touch you. And so my purpose for saying that, uh, the reason why you lose suicide of this is because we do not acknowledge who we are. So it's important to always know who you are. And if you acknowledge this as you live your life, then you'll be able to live an amazing life. You'll be a very spiritual live life. Amen? So let's continue. As a believe that the water, the spirit, and the blood is moving inside of you. And so if you have fellowship with God, then automatically you will see the word, the blood, and the spirit moving inside of you. And, and it will help you loosen all your fleshly things. And it will erase all your flesh. It will erase all the records of sin. It will take away all the filth that has been recorded on your consciousness and in your mindset. It will unbind you and loosen you. And so, you are being renewed every moment by moment. And so, just as your blood circulates throughout your entire body in 15 minutes, and every single time it makes one whole circulation, it's washing your body of all the pollution. It's the same thing spiritually speaking. The Holy Spirit enters into you and continually purifies you, continually cleanses you. And so as long as you maintain the new self, you'll continually be renewed. Continually be renewed to in an amazing way. And Paul says this, that I die every day so, and so that I'm renewed every day. And that's not just Paul's confession, but it should be all of our confessions. And so, uh, within you, you have this, um, you have this cell that 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 is like the the cell for uh, white hair or white something that that and this cell has the record for your death. And, wait one moment. I, I don't know what he's talking about. And so God made the system for the world to always be renewed. 
And so there's a cell inside of you that refuses to die, and do you know what cell that is? In other words, a cell that doesn't have the spirit of death. What is this spirit? It is the spirit of cancer. And so that, 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 that cell, cancerous cell causes trouble. And so we need to always cleanse ourselves each and every day. And until we become an, our, replaced with our new cells. And so your spiritual uh, process are the same process. And so Isaiah says what? As he prophesies this, what does he say? He says that do not think of the old. So you need to be renewed each and every day. Even now you're being renewed. Even now the word is renewing you. Even now you are transforming. And even now you're being purified. And because God can do so. Do you believe? Amen. So let's look at verse 9. And now it's the testimony of God. If we receive the testimony of men, as we see in 1 Corinthians 15, there are witnesses according to the body, right? Where, where you, it needs to be two or three who witness. And so witness was really important to the early church. But the witness of God, the testimony of God is more important. What is the testimony of God? The testimony of God that he has born concerning his son. And so even the Trinity God uh, acknowledges one another. And so like it says in Psalms 110 that or 119 that they call that the Lord said to my Lord. And so as you continually have fellowship with the Trinity God, uh, you he he meets with you with his individual characters. But really you understand that all three are one and that they are God. And this becomes confirmed inside of you. And so when the Lord was baptized, the Holy uh, God uh, let his voice be heard that you are my beloved son. This is really important. This is evidence of God. This is God's testimony that Jesus is his son. Even in the Mount of Transfiguration, the same thing happens. That God says to him, God says regarding his son that this is my beloved son. And so we see that the Trinity continually acknowledges one another, raises each other up, continually calls one another Lord. And in that glorious relationship, we are invited. And so if you wanted to meet with the king in, the, in history, not just anyone would come before the king. At the very least, you have to have a certain level of position. Right? Most kingdoms had this, this hierarchy. Right? A slave would not be able to meet with a nobleman. <gasps> Excuse me. Amen. But we have been invited to this to this fellowship of the king, and so how were we transformed? 
We're transformed to be kings as well. As it says in John 16, that we have been invited into the glorious fellowship. And you need to have faith in this. That the dignity that is poured out to you, it will be made manifest soon as you believe. You are not insignificant beings. Do not be deceived by the circumstances around you. Do not be deceived by, by the conditions around you. Amen. Amen. So let's continue. In verse 10, his own testimony. Because we are in this, because the Spirit is inside me, because the Word is inside of me. And so, as it says in Romans 8 12, that the Holy Spirit Himself testifies that I'm a child of God. And so this is the most essential evidence that you are a child of God, that the Holy Spirit uh, testifying within you that you are a child of God, that you are the son of the king, that you have a kingly inheritance. And so what else does it say? That uh, whoever does not believe God has made him a liar. Why? Because he's not believing in the testimony of God. Witnessing that he is this past son of God. So, this is really important. If you cannot receive that you are the son of God, then this is the source of all suffering. That if you lose sight of who you are in your authority as the king of the sun, it, it means you are living out of your own strength. And we need to receive in faith the testimony of the Holy Spirit of who we are every day. Amen? So verse 11, now it talks about the testimony of the eternal life. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And in this life, it is in His Son. And so when Jesus Christ came inside of us, He Himself is eternal life. And so in what verse? In verse 20, it says that that true beauty is eternal life. So Jesus himself is eternal life. And so in Jesus Christ is the eternal life. But this life is not talking about the concept of time. It's not that kind of interval. It's not you have to wait hundreds of years or uh, thousands of years, but that uh, you have this fellowship. So what does it say in John 17, 13? And so let's turn to it because this is word. John 13. 
It says, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only one, one true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And so look, Jesus is inside of me, and he has eternal life, and those who receive it are in him. And at that moment, that life force keeps leading me to meet with him. And so with this in mind, where does eternal life begin? It begins the moment he enters into your heart. So we are in eternal life right now. And so the time you're spending with God isn't wasted time, but it's all being counted right now for that day. And so eternal life isn't the concept of time, but it's continually talking about meeting with Him. Through meeting with God, you receive love, and that love creates eternal life inside of you. So I got married to my wife. I do not live with her just because we got married. Now, of course, that's how it began. But marriage means that I'm meeting with her every morning, right, as we wake up. And we have this relationship of trust. And then we get to know each other more and more. And we become a beautiful couple. And so I, met, I married her 32 years ago. But I loved her more than I loved her then. I'm sure my wife feels the same. Okay, I didn't force her to say this. Because every moment by moment, we're having this uh, personal relationship. Even what we eat becomes similar. I was someone who only liked to eat meat. But my wife only likes rice cakes. Tteokbokki. Rice cake. But I didn't like rice cake. But as I started to live with her, she eats, starts to eat meat a little bit, and I also start to eat a rice cakes a little bit. So this is what it means to meet at a personal level. And so what is eternal life? It is knowing Him. It's getting to know Him. How much do we get to know Him? Until, until when? For eternity. So that's why, because I'm meeting with Him, I become more and more like Him. And so when Jesus comes inside of me, uh, it means that the eternal life also came inside of you. And this is the strength that allows you to have fellowship with Him at a personal level. And so look, and so look you need to recognize what's going on inside of you. You need to recognize that the life is inside of me, and that that life isn't my strength, but it is the strength of that life. 
and that life makes the state where you can have fellowship with him. And so look at how ignorant I was of the word. Look at how much I was unaware of what a great work God has done when he came into me. And so I should have been able to unravel this through his strength. But because I did not, my spiritual life becomes religious. And amongst pastors and church members who are like this, they, they put a lot of importance on the hotel. But when they go out into the world, they are no better than hotel go singers. And so God is being, this is separating them because in the temple it is the kingdom of heaven, but the kingdom of the world is the kingdom of the self. And so what do we call this kingdom of the self? We call this Baal theology. Because even though it's not God, uh, they're able to worship it. Because what is Baal? Baal compromises, and so you can worship anywhere as long as you are satisfied. And as long as you are satisfied, there's no need for religion. This is Baal. Okay, God is not confined to the temple. God is not confined to your brain. But wherever you go, whoever you meet, God is with you. And he reigns over you, and he reigns over the enemy. And so this El God, this El God, but you believe in El, not in Al. And so how corrupted is the church in this day and age that there is no God? It's all money, mammon. Mammon is, is their God. And so the more and so it becomes easier for them to just have a show for worship. And so uh, that's what God actually said to me several years ago that the worship of this day and age is just simply entertainment. Because what is worship? Worship should be in the presence of God and being with the heavenly hosts. But now that God is bow in the church, there is no heavenly host. And yet they're still enjoying it. And yet they're still praising. And so to God is simply just a show. And so angels come to see this, and angels are laughing at it. That they, they have no God, but they, but they say that they're worshiping God. It's just simply entertainment. Right. How was well, such a tragedy, right? Let us no longer do this entertainment. Okay, worship is is coming before God, and that in that in the worship there is transformation, there is glory, there is power, and there is the reign of God. That is worship. And so in your pastoral ministry, is no one transformed? Is no power being made manifest? Is no authority coming? Is the kingdom of heaven not coming to you? Then that is show. It is not enter it is just simply entertainment. The church of you should not make the church of God be like this. You need to be warned. 
regarding this aspect, we need to always be uh, have have be, be be humble. So we need to hurry up and finish. Yes. So verse twelve. Uh, whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. This is obvious, right? Because he is life, and he is inside of me. He has that life. So now moving on to verse thirteen. And so again, he tells you the why he wrote this book. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. And we talked about this earlier, what, what it means, the Son of God. So I don't need to discuss this any longer. Uh, that you may know that you have eternal life. And so we talked about this earlier. That's how important this eternal life is. Uh, within the context of the dynamic of the Trinity, if you look at it from the big picture, the eternal life is continually growing inside of you. And it's, this life needs to grow for your prayer to become powerful. This life needs to grow for you to have spiritual authority and power. And so eternal life isn't a static prize. It's continually growing. And it might shrink, actually. It's the same thing with faith. Faith can grow, it can shrink. It can be corrupted. It's because they are a life of their own. The church is a life. The church is not an organization. Why can it be glorious? Why can it be corrupted? Because the church is a life. And so you need to feel that the church is a life. And so the, uh, all the things of the kingdom of heaven moves according to that eternal life. And then so verse 14. And why is it important to have this eternal life, to move according to this eternal life? It's because it's to pray. And so you have this eternal life, and so your prayer gets power more powerful. And so I speak of the, of the eschatology, and you need, or no, I say once again, you need to pray with loud voice. Throughout the 66 books of the Bible, there's nowhere that describes someone praying quietly, like a meditation. And so sometimes the Bible says, meditate. But meditation is not prayer. Look at Hannah's prayer. Hannah prays so powerfully to God, she enters into the glorious presence. And so her lips are trembling, right? Oh. And it's because she enters into the glorious presence. And so whether it's the Old Testament, New Testament, or Jesus, they all prayed with loud cries and loud cries and and, and so when your prayer goes out of your voice and returns to your ears, that's when you can receive that prayer. And so when the when the Spirit of God comes upon you, your prayer will be loud. When the Spirit of God comes upon you, 
you cannot help but shake. And so the Old Testament, it says that the, that the, that the priests have the wave offering, wave offering. And so they wave offer, they have this wave offering. So you keep giving this wave offering to God to receive coffee. And so don't just wave sitting still. Then don't get them coffee if they're, okay, let them be shake, let them shake. Let them shake. Okay, we're almost finished. I should have said this from the beginning. But we need powerful prayer. And in this day and age, we need people who, like Elijah, can automatically open the gates of heaven. And so you'll be a powerful minister who can open the gates of heaven automatically. Verse 14. And, and we know that he hears us in whatever we ask. We know that we have that the request that we have asked of him. Oh, no. And this is the confidence that we have towards him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And what does it mean that we pray according to his will? That the Holy Spirit within me is praying. And so there's no reason for you to beat yourself to know the will of God. Just pray in the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit will seek God's will. And, and so in the Bible, the most norm, natural prayer is to pray in the Holy Spirit. Pray in the Holy Spirit. And so when you pray by the Holy Spirit, when you pray in the Holy Spirit, what is the Bible speaking of? It's speaking of praying in tongues. Because if you pray out of your thoughts, you don't know if you're praying by the will of God. You might be praying out of your thoughts, out of your knowledge. But when you pray by the Holy Spirit that's within you, then you will pray exactly what God wants, according to God's will. But the, but the downside of the tongue prayer is that you don't know what you're praying. So what does 1 Corinthians 12 say? That if you pray in tongues, you need to yearn for interpretation. And so many times when I pray, I pray 50% in tongues and 50% in my language. And amazing secrets get revealed in that prayer. Actually, all the contents of Costa Rica came out through my prayer, through my tongue prayer and interpretation. And so we need to pray in tongues and interpret tongues. Because it's not my words, but that's what 1 Corinthians 12 says. That those who pray in tongues yearn to interpret. And 100% of our church members interpret tongues. Why? Because of the glory of the early church. That's how the early church lived. And so Costa Rica, and wherever you may have come, all of you ministers in your churches, I poured out the anointing so that you can interpret tongues. Do not swap. Do not let this anointing rot. But open your mouth and pray powerfully. Pray power, and this powerful anointing will fill you up. Believe, believe, believe. 
days. Amen. So let's continue. And so you need to be able to pray according to the will of the Holy Spirit. And when we pray according to His will, He hears us. And so the word hears also has answer in it. Just like dabar means you proclaim and the event happens. And so if the dabar comes out of your lips, then event happens. And so when you pray according to the will of God, then your words are dabar. That God's throne is shaken and God's authority goes forth. That means God is hearing your prayer. And so how does David describe this state? That Lord, Lord, lend me your ear. Lord, lend me your ear. Lord, lend me your ear. And that means God cannot ignore you. Verse 15. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of Him. So as I said earlier, when, if He hears, that means He answers. This is the or, or, order of things. God heard, then He answers. And prayer is, has the principle of 100% success rate. Ask whatever it is in my name and I will give it to you. And what's important here is that we, we receive what we ask for. Why? Because this is the most spiritual prayer. If I seek A, I receive A. Sometimes you might receive B. Or sometimes you may not know what your answer is. But that means you have not prayed according to the will of God. The most spiritual prayer is if you ask for A, you receive A. And this prayer needs to be possible to you. Why? Because you prayed according to the will of God. Because God heard your prayer. Amen? And so all of you, I give you the authority. I pray that you have the authority to grab God's ear. The Lord, loan me your ear. Lend me your ear. Try uh, holding the ear of the person next to you. No, I'm just joking. I'm joking. But anyways, let's continue. Verse 16. So believe that the power of authority has come upon you. Verse 16. Now he's talking about intercession. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask. Sin equals death. And yet he's called, saying that there is sin that does not lead to death. It's not that sin doesn't equal death, but what he's talking about is that this sin doesn't lead to the cancelization of salvation. Remember, there were Gnostics in the community. And it's not perfect Gnosticism, but rather just influence. And so pray for these kinds of people. 
those who are completely that they that, that those who have the option to get out of the nasutra or and so when you pray for them that they would return to the Catholic Church that they would return to you not the Catholic Church that they would return to the church and so uh, there is sin that leads to death I do not say that one should pray for that now this is directly talking about Gnosticism that you shouldn't pray for this now verse 17 all wrongdoing is sin so I talked about this earlier that if we sin then legally we are we are lawless which means we have sinned right, as we saw in Rome or in John 1 9 and so you get condemned under the law if you sin and so the blood witnesses and say you are righteous but the problem is, is that the, the flesh that's within you continually remembers that sin. Why? Because it rejected the righteousness of God. But what is repentance? Repentance is getting to the point where you come to that righteousness. And so, repentance is most important to us. We need to keep repenting because repentance leads to holiness. And then so all sin is lawlessness. All wrongdoing is sin, but there's sin that does not lead to death. And that's what we we're talking about earlier. And that they are not completely sold into, that they did not completely buy into Gnosticism. So lastly, lastly we talk about the authority of that fellowship. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. This is the new self. The new self will not sin. And the whole world lies in the power of the evil. Oh, wait, no, no. Uh, but he who is born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. And so the new self uh, it has this blood of the king, and so the devil cannot touch him. And so we have the authority of separation, of sanctification from the world. And so it's obvious that we should live by the new self. And we need to avail this authority now. How dare the devil try to touch me? I am that the I, I am a person who has the royal blood flowing through me. Amen. Hallelujah. In verse 19. We know that we are from God. We are God's possession, yes? We are God's property. And so we live in this world. But as children of God, we are separate from the world. And so the church should not receive the standards of this world. Don't receive humanism. <coughs> Don't receive positive thinking. 
then the church will die. And so, there's a funny word here, right? The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. What does this mean? That this entire universe belongs to God. And yet, what did God allow the devil to control? If we are the old self, regarding sin, that, that the devil can reign. That God has, a, or devil has official right to reign over sin. And this is God's determination, it's God's decision. Why did he decide this? Because this is God's amazing confidence in his love that he has for his children. That if the blood, the word, and the spirit that giving to me is because he pours out everything right for me to meet with Jesus. And so he has confidence to before the devil saying that you can do whatever regarding sin because I have confidence that I can reach through that. Is God, God arrogant? Is he overconfident? What do you think? No, God's decision is right. What he has given us, what he has done for us is more than enough for us to break through the devil, break through his power. And that's why he has confidence. And yet, why are you always deceived? It's because you don't know what this is. Because you don't know the glory that happens inside of you. And so as I said in Romans 8, Rome, come at me all at once because I don't have time for this. All the demons of the world come at me because I don't have time I'm, for this confidence of Paul. Where did this confidence come from? It's God's confidence. It's God's confidence. Paul received God's confidence and faith. And so why are you unable to believe in the confidence of God? Why are you unable to believe in what he has done for you? Okay, the devil is nothing. The world is nothing. This amazing thing that happened inside of you swallows the devil, covers over the devil. And so you say, don't mess around, devil. Do you know who I am? What does, the, what does the devil say in the Acts? I know Jesus and I know Paul, but who are you? Is that talking about the greatness of Paul? No, rather, devil acknowledges all who live by the Spirit. Um, back in the day, uh, I heard that there was a demon-possessed person close to our church. And they were trying to bring that person to me for deliverance. But the demon inside of him said this. At the very least, don't take me to Yorbang Church. Don't take me to Pastor Mino Kim. I'm not trying to boast in my honor, in my, in my fame. 
Rather, I'm trying to show you that the devil knows that uh, who has authority and power. And so, every element that God has taken is right. What is he saying to the devil? He's saying, do whatever you want. Because I will move these glorious children. So if you look at Job, God says to the devil, do whatever you want. Just don't take his life, but do whatever. Why did God allow this? There's two reasons. It's because he trusts, he has, he's confident in Job. He trusts Job. Second, second, because as if, even if Job were to fall, I will be responsible. That God will take responsibility. It's the same heart to you that he has. God has confidence. Because of the glory and the spirit that he puts inside of you, he trusts you. But if by any chance you were to fall, even if you were to fall, God will take responsibility. That you are mine. That you are mine. And so do we have confidence or not? And so give high five to the person next to you. High five. High five of victory. Verse 20. Verse 20 is written in three sentences. First is, we know that the Son of God has come. Second is, that we may know Him who is true. And third, we are in Him who is true in His Son, Jesus Christ. And so what's the first thing? We know that Son of God has come. So him coming, we have this glorious uh, fellowship. And so through His coming, uh, he gave us understanding to know deeper his the relationship with him. And this understanding is the Greek word nous. And through this nous, God reveals his truth to us. In John 26, or not John, sorry, Luke 26, when Jesus meets with the two disciples on the way to Emmaus, he, he opened their hearts to the word of God. And this, when it says their hearts, this is the word nous. And so go, pray that God would cleanse your nous. As long as I do not limit the Holy Spirit within me, the, the truth can move and the spirit of the of the spirit of uh, your spirit opens. Do not allow computers, TV, and cell phones to corrupt your news. Amen. With the news, believe that the God has cleansed it clean with the blood of Christ. 
And we are in Him who is true in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the God, true God and eternal life. Do not doubt this. He is in me. And He is truly God. And He is the eternal life. In Jesus Christ. Amen. And lastly, verse 21. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. What does it mean to keep yourself from idols? Idols is the, is the deification of your desires. And so it's saying, do not live by your desires. Do not live out of your ambition. Live in the Spirit. Amen. The sermon ends here. So this is the end of the sermon and so let's proclaim the victory. You have heard many sermons today but a powerful emotion is coming up right now. As I said earlier that everything God allowed in your life is because this is how confident He is. He is so confident that he can say to the devil, do whatever you want. And so, this last conf uh, proclamation of, of faith, of victory, it is out of God's confidence. But if you were to fall, just as God was willing to take responsibility of Job, he will take responsibility over you. Have faith. And so today, let us let us proclaim this victory. Devil, do not mess around. You cannot touch me. That you cannot touch me. God, let this glory radiate from within me. That just as you are confident in me, let me proclaim the victory. Proclaim the victory.
victory. And now, by the grace of Jesus Christ, as the head of the church, and through the holy love of the Father, and through the indwelling, comforting, fulfilling work of the Holy Spirit, to all the saints who have gathered in this conference, to all their churches that they serve, and upon their family, and upon Pastor Francisco and his church, and upon Costa Rica, upon the remnant all over the world, may this blessing rest now and forevermore. Amen. Amen.